Xenobiology. It solves all our problems. So, welcome everyone. Uh, because this saves on editing after the fact, this is the RPG Design Panel Cast. Uh, episode 192. Where we are talking about metaphorical game, fictional reframing of issues at Metatopia 2018. My name is Jason Pitt of Justice of Legend Publishing. To my right is the fantastic and wonderful and brilliant Kate Bullock. <laughs> and I'm, I'm Mark D.S. Truman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> No qualifiers. No, no qualifiers. Yeah. Yeah. We need them. <laughs> so, this panel is about metaphor in game, fictional reframing of issues, and a number of issues around this. Uh, so, the panelists here, the ones on my right are super competent and have published or produced games dealing with metaphor in some very interesting ways. So, uh, let's quickly talk about a project or two. So. Mark, what is a project that you have worked on that is relevant for, for, for this? Yeah, so I think I mean a lot of a lot of games use metaphors uh, pretty broadly. Like if you're doing a sci-fi game or a fantasy game, there's probably some metaphors baked in there. But I also uh, spent a few years working on a game called Urban Shadows, which is about it's a political urban fantasy game. And of course, because it is overlaying monsters, vampires, fairies, werewolves. Frankenstein vessels, that all that stuff onto reality. It functions at a couple of different levels. One of which is about representing urban archetypes through these urban fantasy archetypes and the melding of the vampire as a um, you know metaphor for hunger and sex and with also metaphors of drug use and drug abuse and codependence right so that's probably the project that I'm thinking about the most when I talk about this stuff um, but I think there's also other pieces that I've done around um, masks as being metaphors for empowerment and, and the way superheroes are generally metaphors um, and also cartel which is in some ways not metaphorical because it's not not about uh it's about the drug war and being in the drug war, but that's actually not what it's about. It's actually about communities. And so even with this thing of this, oh, it's really direct. It's about the drug war. It's actually really about something else as well. And so uh, I, I think about metaphors a lot. <laughs> uh, I recently worked with Magpie to bring out an Ashkin of my game, Crossroads Carnival, uh, which is packed full of metaphors of being other and treated as other. Each playbook is some sort of supernatural creature that's also a metaphor for like being a person with uh, physical differences or being a person who's queer, being a person who's um, a sex worker or anything like that. It's been baked into it so that those people are treated as other through the, the paradigm of being a freak. Uh, and myself, I'm working on a project right now um, steeped in metaphor, which is Circles of Power, which is a, my quick terrible pitches that it's a PBTA game of social justice wizards um, but it is a game that explores about magic as uh, metaphor for activism uh, met, met, uh, magic as act as metaphor for violence and uh, magic as a metaphor for leadership in communities so it's this complex mix of these things and it's also talking about a whole lot of real historical events and but it's a fantasy kingdom and these are the imperial explorers from across the sea these are in no way the French from who invaded Canada like it, uh, so yeah that's 
one of my current projects that is deeply steeped in metaphor and one of the reasons why I wanted us to have a conversation about it. Yeah. Uh, because I've gotten some great advice from Mark uh, on that front. So I figured, hey, that sounds like a metatopia. So why would we use metaphor? Um, Kate, you want to start? A metaphor is an access point for me, I find. A metaphor is where we are able to kind of uh, pick up identities or others' experiences and also acknowledge the privilege of being able to put them back down again. Um, but it lets us have empathy for experiences we might never, like, never experience otherwise. Uh, and gives us a momentary view into worlds we can't see normally um, and explore those issues without having to necessarily dig into them with full knowledge like a metaphor allows you more space to breathe than if you were going to dive right into the actual full heart issue I find thoughts yeah I mean I, th I think one of the big differences between urban shadows and cartel is that I think white people are totally fine playing Urban Shadows and they get freaked out playing Cartel. Like, it is, like, if I'm like, play a black vampire, they're like, well, I'm a vampire, so I at least do that part, right? <laughs> like, play a Mexican hitman and they're like, whoa, 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 too much. Um, and so that I've really spent a lot of time this last year thinking about what is the role of metaphor. And sometimes it's easy to say, well, the closer you are to the bone, the better the thing is. But at some point, I think you're so close that you there's just nothing left but the thing. I don't think Cartel's there. Like I, I think it's doing many levels of things, but um, uh, the concept of a fruitful void has been echoing around the indie community for a long time. The idea that if, if Apocalypse World is about community, it shouldn't have a mechanic for community because then you just fill that track, community is fixed, <laughs> done. Instead, we have to argue about community because there's no mechanic for community. So there's this weird thing where if you don't put it in your game, then it's not there, except if it is, and then it's the most important thing. It's a really weird catch-22. It's a right? hard space to navigate. Yes, but, but metaphors help us do that, right? They say, cool, Urban Shadows is totally about urban politics, but because it's not just about urban politics, it's also about fairies, then I, I have a bigger target for that fruitful void. There's more yeah. stuff there, right? But that is, as Brendan has reminded me, my one of my corners from Magpie, like cartel can't work that way. I can't say, well, let's all be elves who sell drugs, right? Because then, so, then you're so distant, it's like, wow, well, fuck, whatever. Yeah, I sell drugs. It's great. It's different when it's like, yeah, you're a real person and your boss has asked you to take care of this body by melting it down in the chemicals you use to make drugs. And you're like, wow, okay. Well, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and sure. I am I am here for it. Like, I'm, I'm doing it. Um, but then it's like, okay, if you're too close, do I have permission to play this? Um, mm. And that's like the two things. And there's, there's different ways to give permission. One of them is about restrictions. I remember... Um, Julia Ellingbo, who's here in the back, who's amazing and wonderful, wrote a game called Steal Away Jordan a lot of, that was a big inspiration to me for Cartel. And when I played it with Julia, I was really terrified because I was like, had all these emotions, like, can I play a slave? Am I gonna do it right? What does it mean to do it right? And then the first thing she said was, all right, just to be clear, we're not using the N-word. I just don't, it's not a thing for me in this game. And I felt myself being like, oh, yeah, we just set whatever rules we want. Yeah, okay, then we're good. And then we started pulling out pictures and talking about like, this is what you look like, this is what this character, and I was like, oh, why am I worried about this? Like this is, so it's like finding that place is not just about metaphor, it can also be about play culture, mm -hmm. but metaphor is one of the best ways to tell people, it's cool that you're crazy revolutionaries because you're dark elves, 
right? And you live in this spire, and the surface elves have colonized you, and this is just fun and games. You're just elves. But really, it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a thing, and you're accessing it. Um, and the other thing, uh, like, on that front, those are drug-dealing elves. <laughs> like <laughs> They are drug-dealing like, elves. Yes. They are <laughs> drug-dealing elves. So you can do, let's have a story about drug dealing, but we will need to have a bit more emotional distance from this because we're dealing with, um, okay, granted, instead of a carceral system where the high elves will stake you out for the sun, uh, where the sun burns your skin, because you're a dark elf. <laughs> I mean, you can have a bit more distance from current events in certain cases where... Uh, Things are particularly sensitive, um, and that that is a really fruitful place for metaphor. So long as that distance is not uh, taking you too far away from the thing that you're meant to be exploring, because if you're doing that, so a good example for cartel, it is about community. The reason it can be about community is because the surface level metaphor, functionally, is drug dealing. Oh, it's really more. It's really more criminal organization. The, the organization that yeah. you're a part of is a thing you opted into at some point, and then maybe halfway through you were like, "I don't really want to be here anymore," but you don't. That's not an option. So that's why I'm at Metatopia. So I, I didn't. I'm here, <laughs> and like, like at some point, <laughs> I might have like, yeah, like, like, like at some point, I was like, I guess I'm part of this community, and then if I even later was like, no, I'm not sure I want to be. And they're like, but are you coming to Metatopia? And I'm like, yeah, I'll come to Metatopia. <laughs> like, um, like it, you don't, you become a part of that thing, and now we're living with each other. And some of the people I live with in community, I don't like. I think are dangerous. I think maybe even be really cruel, but I don't get the option of saying everybody but that guy. It's everybody or nobody. And so that's like that's what cartel's really about, right? So the reason why I'm saying this is the spire is not a game about community. Because the metaphor builds such distance mm. that it you can't go any deeper than that, because the buried metaphor is this is about criminal enterprises and criminal activities. By contrast, you have that at the surface, so you can have community underneath that. So the metaphor builds too uh, too much distance to be able to address certain subject matter if you are having too heavy a metaphor. Um, but, yeah. Um, so, what about uh, when metaphors go wrong? <laughs> when, when, when metaphors attack. Yeah. <laughs> when metaphors attack for the metaphor and yeah. <laughs> oh, uh... And metaphors attack. So what happened to me recently? Um, again, I wrote Crossroads, and I don't know if everyone gets. I'm going to assume everyone does. People start randomly talking to you about your game on the internet because they're like, "Hey, you should hear about my trauma." <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wrote one of the playbooks called "The Dog Faced," and my intention for it was kind of to talk about what it, what it means when you look different than everyone else. Um, and how people treat you differently, and when really what you want is to belong and, and to be loved, and, and that kind of thing. And every person who's talked to me about it afterwards has been like a gay man who's like, this reminds me of coming out in high school. Because uh, there's a werewolf metaphor in there, too. And I sat there afterwards and was like, well, miss the mark on that one, Kate. Time to go do more research and do better. Uh, so for me, when you 
get your metaphor wrong because when you write about stuff you don't have personal experience with and you do have to do the research and you do have to do the integrity behind it um you still will probably get it wrong and you need to own it and listen and do better um but it's gonna happen no matter no matter how hard you try you're always gonna screw something up somewhere along the way and that's okay yeah i think it's um it is it is an iterative process so i played in a play test today that had a very it was a pirate themed game that had a very unfortunate like strong minority character who was also maybe not so bright but it was not intended to be that way it just ended up there and i was like hey this is a problem the designer was like oh wow yeah no not what i mean let's let's talk about some ways to get there to that space of big strong dumb and loving but not through these other gates and so yeah that, that takes a lot of work um I think a lot of it is people understanding that what you're really playing with is cultural signifiers, right? So when I create a cast for the Urban Shadow stuff, when we do playbooks, like playbooks are really where all the metaphorical work is done, right? The the the, the basic moves of Urban Shadows are like very functional. They, they're designed to craft the fictional narratives that we want to see in the game, and they're very emergent. They're going to crash off each other in different ways. But the playbooks are where the arcs are, right? So that's where Drew and I sit down and say, okay, we're doing a dragon playbook, what do we think is cool about dragons? They're, well, they're like immortal, but they're also like greedy, and then they breathe fire. And we're like, ah, oh, it's all cool, but like, like that's not an arc. That's just some cool stuff. And then we start to see, well, how do people treat that stuff? And then we realized, oh, the dragon has like lost their heritage. So they're like an other who has lost something. Like, what if they're like almost like the older aristocracy of some place who's had to flee here to America? more or less, and, and they've lost it, but they still have it, and they still want it. Maybe they connect with other people. And Drew's like, I don't remember writing any of this in. And I'm like, yeah, it's just <laughs> there's just signifiers, right? And you're remixing them. But then sometimes you can end up with stuff where you're like, I'm either remixing poisoned fruits, like the, a, a, a corrupted thing, and there's no amount of remixing that's going to get there. Or sometimes you stumble upon weird stuff. And when we worked on Firefly, I found myself repeatedly kind of coming up against the walls of Westerns, like the Western just has a lot of a lot of stuff there, right? Like the the hooker with the heart of gold, the the native savages, the like all these pieces that like you try to reimagine them and you you can, but it's like trying to escape the gravity well of a Jupiter sized planet. Like you can't just making them space zombies doesn't make them not native savages. Right? It just makes them native savages in space who are also zombies. Like there's no, just, there's nothing there. So so part of what I want to do as a creator is remix cultural signifiers in cool and interesting ways, avoid the catastrophes that come by getting it close enough to have an impact but wrong, and then I love the idea of tackling really difficult stuff, but I have to pace myself. Mm. So like one of the playbooks I want to do for Urban Shadows in the next year or two is I really like to have a goblin playbook which is uh, a character who does the work nobody else wants to do. So, for example, in uh, John Wick, there's the guy who comes and picks up all the bodies. I love that guy. And they, and they pay him a gold coin, which means he's part of the real shadow economy. He's not just a rando. He's, like, part of this whole system. I love that idea. But isn't there a strong implication of, like, Jews doing the work nobody else wants to do and goblin characters being the Jews of the city? Is like, no, not that. I don't mean that. <laughs> I mean something else. But also, these people did do the work nobody else wanted to do. So, like, there's a lot of unpacking to figure out mm-hmm. how do I do some of that but not the parts that don't work? And maybe this is not an option. 
It's not, it's not going to work. I'm not going to get to the point where that's going to function. Yeah, and some of the stuff gets is very pervasive and subtle and hard to see from within your own frame of reference. So, a beautiful example. Um, there is a lot of cultural and religious symbolism that is heavily coded into uh, the dominant North American sort of media landscape. So, I I was designing a game and I was doing Circles of Power. I was narrating a bit. And I said the sentence, yeah, and the uh, brilliant white flame of the secret fire burns away the dark magic of the eve. I'm not saying that ever again, and I'm writing this out of the book now. I didn't even say it. I finished it. I was like, oh, God, that's that's terrible. Okay, that is going on my fix this, rip this out of my brain category. But it was reflexive. It was unconsidered, and I just fell back on Trump's. And... But, like, that is the kind of thing you have to be watching for. And sometimes you just wait for the horrified look of the people who are playing your game. Uh, and sometimes you have to hire specific uh, subject matter experts who can help decode things. Um, as, like, as another example, I have a status hierarchy set up in uh, Circles of Power. Which is, you know, this is how, where these groups are refu re considered higher than these groups in, like, the, from the perspective of the dominant society. And I had some subject matter experts who were saying, yeah, so that's running really hard into oppression Olympics. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to have to stand back and think about this for a while and see if that is the intended message. Because I was looking at one frame of reference and I needed the subject matter experts to point out the places where not sure if this is an intentional message um, a lot of the coding on heroes and villains in fiction likewise super problematic for those same reasons um, oh look the disfigured villain the queer coded villain the villain who happens to be an albino or happens to be a person of color um, in contrast with all of the noble heroes who happen to look like British men um, uh, usually high class British men with excellent clothing and high status um, I think, I think it, is, like, it is worrisome though if we like, I think one of the challenges of working on 7C was that we also wanted those people to be villains. I don't want their all all the queer people are heroes also feels a little, yeah. little thin to me, right? So like I really like uh, Despicable Me Too, which has El Macho as the as the as the villain. And like he part of why I like it is the the film does not portray him as dumb or 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 in, un, incapable or or cartoonish. I mean, he is car he's not cartoon, so he's as cartoonish as everybody else. But he like his his chicken. He has a, he has a pet chicken who's like a little badass. Like the chicken almost wins the day for them. I haven't seen it. I can't, right, I can't so, help you. But like, <laughs> but like, like the whole movie is like a macho is like over the top and so much, right? But like, but like also like kind of cool, right? And like, but the difference there is 
grew as a hero, like the, this villain who's become a hero, is not exactly like beautiful and and, and blonde and strong and, and El Macho is presented as the other. Gru's already pretty weird and El Macho is weird and everybody's weird and, and it's fun. And, and so that cultural reference feels like it's including me, not excluding me. And I think what I worry about sometimes when we talk about metaphors is, here's all the ways it can go wrong. And I'm like, yeah, those, those are true. But one of the other ways it goes wrong is that you don't do this work. You don't include any metaphors. You don't. Yeah. You don't do it. You just. You just do the thing itself, which is fine. But write nonfiction books, I guess. Or you. We. We just leave all of us out, right? And I think that's that's disappointing if that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the other things I've stumbled on is uh, when I'm writing. Because you obviously mentored me partly through the the process of like every one of these playbooks needs a metaphor, Kate. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but once that clicked, it really made sense. And then you're writing or rewriting and assessing your basic moves all the time. Because obviously, I did a PPTA game too. And um, sometimes when you're writing those basic moves, you're not thinking what it means when all your metaphors are doing those things mm-hmm. until you do it, and you're like, oh, nope, didn't mean that. No, no. No, no, never mind. Not that. We talked about a ghost game this week that Kate and I both did a high test for. And in the game, we're talking about, okay, do the ghosts want to move on? And if the ghosts move on by, like, severing all their emotional anchors, what we're kind of saying is a metaphor. And this isn't the only reading, but, like, one fair reading would be you will get over your trauma when you stop caring about all the yeah. things you used to care about. And we're like, no. Well, that's... <laughs> That's kind of really yeah. sad, right? That can't be the thing we're saying, right? So now so we it's need the to, ghost of depression. The Got ghost it. of depression. When you really give up and like let yourself go to oblivion, I guess you'll be happy, right? Like it's not, it's not good, right? So, so then we're like, okay, that's not the right metaphor, but but then there might be other metaphors that would work better. So it's just the, an inspiration to do deeper and richer work because the metaphor doesn't quite land. Um, and I I don't know if I agree that like the spire, for example, is too high level to talk about community. But I think what the spire is really about is revolution, bloody, real, violent revolution, and if it's justified. And then you have to ask yourself if this metaphor is capable of carrying that load. And the answer may be no. And that's okay. Like, if the spire is, like, not quite enough to carry that load, but enough to get you thinking about it, enough to get you talking about it, enough to prompt you to do some work on it yourself, that's also a kind of success. Mm -hmm. So for designers in the audience that are thinking about, I want to be using metaphors, which I would assume a lot of you here are, A, you already are. You're definitely already doing it. And B, sometimes you're doing it poorly, and that's okay, you can do it better. And C, a lot of this is about intent. Like, having the intent to say, every playbook I do here is a metaphor, that helps open doors. <laughs> Rather than, I'm just doing monsters, and we'll see how they turn out. Right? It was very good advice. Um, on a related note, I just want to flag Avery is amazing, for, because I believe Avery started the, that recognition of playbooks equals metaphor in a clear, strong way. I mean, I think Apocalypse World, the core game, is a bunch of metaphors. I think Vincent and Meg would say that they're clearly metaphors. I, I think, in a lot of ways, for Cartel, they're not really metaphors. I don't think it's always true. In Cartel, they're largely about power, like well, the degree of power you have in your position in the game. So, I, again, I don't think there's a clear, hard fact. Oh, all playbooks are always metaphors or whatever, but we're both writing, or, what, oh, I don't know, is there a carnival fantasy genre? A sub- it's urban. Well, rural it's, fantasy? it's rural fantasy. Rural fantasy, right? It's, but, like, there's a clear connection of when you're using monsters that are people-like, yeah. they're probably not just 
they don't just happen to look like people, right? Um, when you're playing baby dragons, I'm not sure those baby dragons are metaphors for anything. Like you're the crafter. You well, the friendship. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. magic is a metaphor for friendship, obviously. But but like I'm not sure the crafter as a type is really a metaphor. No, it's it's like that's a type of kid who's the builder, the painter, the thing, and then you're playing out the arc of that kid. So it's I don't ever think it's one to one. It's it's like metaphors, messy and not allegorical. Yeah, and I'm working on a game now about um, kids in the cyberpunk future, and their roles are their attitudes towards the world, right? Like a zero, which is a homeless kid, is not a metaphor for being a homeless kid. Yeah. yeah. They're a homeless kid. It's a homeless kid, yeah, <laughs> right. It's instead a metaphor for a kind of powerlessness about home, yes. about the future, but even that doesn't match up to, you know, a vampire is a drug yeah. dealer kind of allegorical thinking. Yeah, so how far you distill it out will also heavily impact how much playroom you have. Yeah, but the main thing is you're already doing this. You just, you might not realize it, but like when you say, well, we have these hobbits, elves, orcs, and dwarves, guess what? They're not, they, they are both operating at one level, I'm a dwarf, and at another level of subtext that you are something else, some other metaphor that's been invoked. Yep. As a, a cautionary tale, look at Bright on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And cry. Yeah, well, I mean, like, but I think Bright was intended to be messy. Like, I think that their goal was to use a bunch of signifiers without having any, any framework for those signifiers. So I remember, like, when Dark Knight Rises came out, there was a whole bunch of, like, almost like Occupy language in it, and Occupy just kind of happened. And, mm-hmm. and so it was like, yeah, Bane's like an Occupy villain. And I was like, oh, that sounds so good. Yes. Like, Bane being like, you don't understand that capitalism is your true foe. Right? Like, that, like that. I was like, yes. And then, like, none of it was really in the movie. It was just, like, kind of kind of hinted at. And I was like, oh, well, well. <laughs> like, like, the Joker is clearly a metaphor for disorder. And Batman is clearly a metaphor for order. And so they're going to conflict. And I like this idea of Bane being a metaphor for justice and Batman being a metaphor for order and those two things conflicting. And it said Batman, which or Bane was just like a dude in a mask. That was... It happened. That was Let it, it go. <laughs> but, he could, but he could have been more. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you see how metaphors wrap into themes and you get things such as... Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 does a really good job about some really rough, messy, and not great family dynamics, but trying to raise a kid in a fairly toxic place with a lot of people with a lot of trauma and trying to get be better. And there's a lot of stuff baked into that. Um, there's also a tiny baby group and that's and teenage group and that's just delightful um so yeah one of the things i i am challenged with is finding the balance between blatant metaphors that are super obvious uh and they're usually pretty problematic like there's there's they're so close to the surface you might as well just say it. Um, in a lot of Tolkien-esque fantasy orcs. Mm. Uh, by contrast, we've got really obtuse metaphors which are so buried that it's almost... It is almost impossible to 
put one to one or even like even see that there's a metaphor there so you lose the strength of that metaphor you're you're so heavily twisting it and changing it away from uh, the source that it's nearly unrecognizable so how do you find the right balance between these two and find exactly the sweet spot have it just different enough that it's not a one-to-one map of the territory but um distant enough uh, close enough that it's not unrecognizable and confusing and I don't have any good answers and I'm really hoping other panelists do because they're smart well I think that the orcs thing is is actually interesting because I I think on one level yeah you know orcs are really troublesome uh, as a metaphor because they have this culture they're very othered they're monstrous like there's a lot of ways that overlaps with how people of color have been presented in fiction. But it's also important to remember that they do have a different metaphor that works really well, which is for the corruption of power and the destruction of beauty. Because if you remember, uh, Saruman takes the one... I'm going to... Wow, I'm going I'm to nerd in a room full of nerds. Saruman <laughs> takes the one ring... Or sorry, takes... Uh, Sauron takes, has the one ring, loses it. Saruman, who used to be a good guy, gets in contact with Sauron and is convinced by him... That, that they're going to lose, that the good guys are going to lose. So he tells Gandalf, the new power, the new, will overcome. We better get on board. You just should give up. And in, in an era of the powerful being more monstrous than ever before, we watch people accept that, you know, they're just going to accept this new power, this new fascism, and they're going to conform. And what Soraman does to the orcs is not just a metaphor about dark-skinned people being evil, but is actually about beautiful things being corrupted by those who have power and give up that power to those who are monstrous. That part works great. Yeah. But unfortunately, there's this other thing. I think that part of this is about thinking about allegories (coughs) and metaphors. So metaphors are about taking symbols and investing them with meaning that goes beyond the symbol and connecting them to the broader life that we lead and the broader symbols we use. Allegory is about taking a message and tucking it in and hiding it and then really hoping people discover it. And so we were all in high school, we read like, what's the, what's the Nathaniel Hawthorne? Uh, Scarlet Letter. The Scarlet Letter is, is kind of allegorical, but there's more, there's one more I forget, like the, the devil and something. Well, anyway, like the idea is in that. Yes. So it's like the idea of that is everything in that is explicitly something else. Like this represents the church. This represents a specific figure in the church at a specific time. Right. And so there's a difference to like arrested development where like the characters are clearly like types who are metaphors for certain ways of approaching whiteness (laughs) poorly. (laughs) And like some episodes of Veep where you're like, ah, that guy is totally the Republican house leader from this year. Right. And so one of the things I try to do is not write propaganda. Like, I'm not here to tell you how to think and feel explicitly. I want to give you a sense of the challenges and messiness of a thing. So Steal Away Jordan is so beautiful for me because you play it and you're like, yeah, but I guess slavery is complicated because I have these emotions about other people and I also had fun, but I was definitely still a slave. Like, it was, it was definitely still a slave. So, like, how ought I feel about that? And I imagine Julia would say how do you feel about that? And I would say, that's not an answer to that question. So like, if you play a game that's propaganda, you're playing a game that's saying, this is the way you ought to feel about this thing. And that can have value and it can get across an idea. But I think what's great about Urban Shadows for me, when I first played it with Drew was, it doesn't say, multiculturalism is good. 
Because like 95% of the problems in that game are these two people who come from different communities are not getting along and refuse to get along. And if you walk away from that being like, well, multiculturalism is just good. I'm like, what fuck game did you play? <laughs> like, it's complicated. It's messy. And if you walk away like inspired by this idea of cities, wonderful. But you might also be disheartened some days when you get to the end of your character's story and you're like, I died, accomplished nothing, and my death was was sad. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. It, was, it sounds like it was a good game. <laughs> like, you, like you really struggled. And so finding metaphors that go deeper is also about giving up a little bit of window of meaning so that I just think it's really cool that the dog face isn't what you thought it was. It's something else. I think it's great. Like, I really loved it. Yeah. Um, and I think with Crossroads, I, I really had to give space for players to do what they wanted because yes. my version of community is like you don't get to hit people <laughs> alright <laughs> you just don't and that's why the move is like lashed out with unsettling violence because to me violence in a community is unsettling it yes. disrupts it hurts it creates trauma uh, but when you're in a town that's like stolen a fay and is bleeding her dry to feed their crops but they're doing it because they're starving and their kids are dying What's your answer? And I had to leave space in Crossroads for people to be like, I killed the priest and I take the ferry. Or to say, we just go on. Or we leave them. We just leave them. Right? Like, it's, I had to leave that space because yeah. community is difficult and it's never black and white. As much as we want it to be, it's not. Um, it, that was a really hard lesson. And Sarah spent a lot of time talking to me about that, being like, Kate, are you sure? Kate, are you sure? <laughs> Sarah's capacity for, Sarah Richardson's capacity for darkness and despair is admirable. Like, she, like really, <laughs> really, really being able to say, like, I accept what my players do. It's not saying, like, I accept that they're Nazis. Like, it's not, I'm not saying that. Like, I'm saying, if you're going to play a game and I already know what's going to happen and what your arc is, then why are we playing? Yeah. I really have to walk in being like, I don't know. And in my, in my opinion, I have to walk in being like, I really don't know where this is going to go or how it's going to get there even, what it's going to cost you, what you're willing to give up. And then when we find out, I'm like... And I think that's some of the beauty of Bluebeard's Bride Yeah, is you have this choice to be a, a loyal bride. Like you can be like, oh. no, no, he's not really a killer. I love him. <laughs> I love that man. Right? And you're just sitting there, like especially as a, a woman from a trauma background, I'm like... I'm sorry, what did you do? But it's the right choice. You need to give them that choice because that's how some people internalize trauma too. Like it's... It's both, yeah. It's so upsetting though. Ah, yeah. uh, the game of codependence. I've played that game before. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, uh, how about... We're not doing this. Okay. No. Fantastic. Just so you know. So we then how that. about I can this off to Kate? Do you have questions? Some questions. Yes, that is a solid one. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Please jump in. Um, when you're creating a um, metaphor in game, um, my question is more about objective of the metaphor. Yeah. Like, what is it you are hoping to accomplish when you come in with that metaphor? Like, if you're trying to create, you know, is it is it just a matter of expre personal expression? Is it a matter of teaching? Is it a matter of catalyst? Like, you're trying to create reactions in others as the game spreads but like, I was just curious like what is the intent behind the, the metaphor the objective I mean I think that um, I say that PBTA Powered by the Apocalypse design is very literary design because the math is really simple like it just does its thing and then you layer meaning on top of those mechanics so it's sort of like you're asking me uh, in this painting what is the role of the paint mm -hmm. like um, to make the painting 
Like, so what is the role of metaphor in Urban Shadows? Well, there really isn't anything but metaphor. Mm -hmm. It's just layers of metaphors that play off each other. Um, but to be more charitable to your question, because that's not a helpful answer to you, <laughs> might be. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> but it might be. It might be which metaphors? Why these metaphors? Why not these other ones? What What mm -hmm. makes you chose these brushes instead of these brushes? And I would say my goal is to represent an experience that I feel I have something to say about that experience, and also that I believe people who play the game will take away something from that experience. So I might have something to say about our educational system that I worked in for 10 years as a advisor and teacher and consultant, but like I'm not sure you would get anything out of that process. But in Cartel, I feel like I have something to say about Mexican culture, communities, and the drug war, and I think you as a player might walk away with something from that, even if that's just like the eternal pain of tragedy that comes as the result of bigger systems and watching it firsthand. The fun that is not fun, as I say, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm choosing the metaphors I'm working with and the brushes I use in my painting for the same reason, because I believe they will accomplish the goals of the work as a whole. And I must then be clear about my intent before I begin. And with Urban Shadows, I wasn't. And then halfway through, Drew and I were like, is this about something? <laughs> like, is, this, is our game about something? And we're like, it is about, oh, okay, cool. Let's find the pieces that are going to lift that up and reinforce it and make it work. Yeah, you know, Linda Berry, uh, the poet, has this book called What It Is, and it's just, it's it's a book to talk about imagery. Yeah. And it's all collages. That's cool. It's all done in collages and pictures and everything like that. It's wrapped around, there's text, but it's like wrapped around, but it's not written in the sense of a book, and it's not written in the sense of... I don't want to say not a sense of purpose, but a sense of deliberate message. I yeah. Guess. So I was wondering if that kind of what you were talking about kind of made me think about that. It's totally like that for sure. I don't know if other people feel similarly, but the, the goal of metaphor is to accomplish the objectives of the work as a whole. And that's my challenge to a lot of designers is to think about your work as a whole, mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, it's got this really cool subsystem. And I'm like, dude, I love that stuff. But like, what is that subsystem accomplishing in the greater picture of things? Yeah. When, um, Mark invited me to come be mentored by Magpie for Crossroads. Um, there was a big talk about metaphor, and then Sarah sat down and was like, okay, you only get this many playbooks if you're 15. Why do I have 15? That's a good question. <laughs> um, so I got six. <laughs> and I had to choose which of those I felt most strongly represented what I was trying to talk about with Crossroads, which was the first time someone had asked me to do that. and. When you approach a carnival game, the, the playbooks I chose aren't usually the, the things you think of, I found, hmm. with that. Like, I think the straw man's a pretty on-point one, yeah. but most people don't even know what a geek is yeah. when, I, when I talk about that, or most people don't think the snake charmer. They tend to think a lot more of the things that really focus on actual disability. Yeah. Um, but when I chose them, I was like, I feel like these are really strong metaphors for what I'm talking about when people are othered in our community today as well. So like the snake charmer is a sex worker. Um, and and having to think that way really made you also examine your intention a lot and what you're trying to say. So I find they bleed back and forth yeah, into yeah. a so cycle until yeah. you're like, you talk to someone about it and they're like, oh, you're like, oh, yes, yes, now we're here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so I use, so in a similar way, we were talking about the fruitful void and I use metaphor to herd people towards the fruitful void. I want people to be the player decision 
to be, and the player challenge to be struggling and exploring certain issues. And sometimes those issues are too um, frightening or accusatory if you say them directly. But I use metaphor as a way of saying, look, we're talking about um, how we're oppressing the elves. It's fine. You're fine oppressing elves. Now, now we're going to talk about your role in an oppressive society. Because we're not accusing you of being, like, racist and oppressive. We're just saying that those elves, you know, they need to get off the streets and start working for a living. And, it, like, ah. So you put people in the uncomfortable situations, but you give them that just that little bit of um, padding so that they can be playing in that fruitful void and having to think those very complex and messy thoughts and face their demons without having to directly confront oh I'm I'm am I a baddie uh yeah so you give you give them a little bit of like alibi to be able to play in that space and that's sort of how I use uh metaphor varies from project to project too man I mean like Mm -hmm. It just fill different roles for different things. I'm I'm actually not familiar with the term the fruitful void. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, like sorry, there's a there's a great blog post that Vincent Baker, the creator of Apocalypse World and, and great RPG theorist wrote a, wrote a while back. Other people have taken and done stuff with it too, but the idea is that there is a hole in the center of your game for what the game is really about. So think about like a co-op, co-op game, a co-op board game, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you're playing Spirit Island, everybody's playing their spirits and driving the white people off the island, everybody's happy, it's good times. <laughs> and then there's no rules for who gets to talk. Right? There's no rules that say everybody gets 10 seconds to explain their plan and then we're going to do the plan. If you did that, it would be a different game. The fact that there's a hole in the rules that doesn't tell you how to play, is that's the space that the game actually occupies. Okay. But at the same time, the structures that create the fruitful void are the structures you need to design as a designer to create that space. Right? Like It has to be intentional. I mean, you could be a genius and just do it, I guess, but <laughs> usually it's intentional, and you have to then talk about those things. So Spirit Island creates rules for how much the spirits can do and how what you need to win and what happens when you draw cards. It does all these things to create that space. It makes it possible for us to argue with each other and discuss and come up with a strategy, but it doesn't make it so that one person comes up with all the strategy, or it doesn't make it so that there's really no strategy. It's all just luck. We just roll dice. There's all these things supporting that hole. So it's like you're designing a hole, not designing a thing. Okay. And by designing that hole, you create the space for people to do their work. I also think there's a holding environment around that, so it's like a donut, right? Mm-hmm. There's the void where things are happening. Then there's walls that keep you in play with each other. Board games are really easy. The holding environment is, you know, the, the board, the, the physical <laughs> components, right? But when we're just talking, mm-hmm. the holding environment has to be something else. It's institutions, like in masks, it's team or it's uh, it's relationships like in Urban Shadows you have all these mm-hmm. related, or the carnival is like a, an institutional one but then you go from town to town so each town contains the problem yes. so it's locational too right and those two things have to shrink and expand to accommodate the play of the game okay. I was like super nerd RPG theory yeah. so I apologize <laughs> for this no, uh, because you can't have a roll 2d6 to solve this ethical dilemma right, right. <laughs> that, that is not a good yeah. mechanic right. for a game about ethical so dilemmas so like in Crossroads there's no way for you to to verbally influence your community members mm-hmm. 
right? Like that are fellow players. You can't be like, we're going to solve this problem my way. You have to talk to each other like people. And that's where things happen in this game. It's very weird and interesting to sit there as a GM and be like, tell me when you're ready. And Urban Shadows Shadows lets you negotiate with NPCs, but the only way you can deal with other PCs is to spend a debt. So a lot of times you'll watch players be like, do what I want. And they're like, no, do what I want. Come on, come on, do it. No, I'm cashing in a fucking debt. Do what I want. And it's like, oh, okay, we're serious. And then everyone leans over and looks at their heart stat and they're like, all right. All right, I'll do it. Because <laughs> I could kind of roll to get out of that, but if I miss, it sucks, right? Yeah. Uh, but in Cartel, there's like five moves to get people to do things. Because yeah. everybody's under a lot of pressure, so I have to give people ways to like talk their way out of problems with other PCs. But some of the incentives are like, I lie to you and I hit my roll, so now if you believe the stupid thing I just said, you get an XP. Okay. So you're incentivized to believe my lies. Right. And you're like, cool, I'll believe that lie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a lot of unhealthy dynamics happening in that moment. Right. So I have to work those in so that we can have a real conversation about community. And that that whole idea of the Fruitful Void is really central to a lot of design for the last 10, 15 years. But in a lot of ways, PBTA is like one of the best expressions of it because you could say, well, look at all these basic moves. Here are all the mechanics on like two pages. What is the game about that's not here? And it's really explicit. Okay. Um, I kind of have a follow-up sure. question to that. Um, if you're presenting the question in whatever the game happens to be about, if it's cartel, it's you know, um, you know, the effects of colonization and the effects of like the the the, the context of that those conflicts, is that the propaganda? As in, like the point of the like the perspective? You know what I mean? Like, is if the fact that you're posing the question means that the answer matters to you? Do you risk that being something where you're shoehorning to a specific perspective? Well, I mean, I think that, that when I say I don't write propaganda, it's meaning I don't write experiences that tell players how they ought to... I, I would hope, I don't, I'm sure I've done this, but I, I try not to create experiences that tell players what they ought to think and feel about the experience they just had. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think Cartel is pretty imp- explicit that, like, the drug war is bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's a very interesting thing to say. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a fact. Right. So I don't think I'm... Like, everybody should acknowledge this fact. If I write a game about that fact, I don't think it will be very interesting. So Cartel is not about how the drug war is bad. Mm. Cartel is about how do we live with other people in a community. And I use the drug war as a way to access that in an evocative, punchy, interesting way. And then the side effect of that is, by doing that, I will ask the question, what ought we do about the drug war? In which case, I'm like, I don't know. Like, tell me what you think. I have no idea. Good luck. We should stop it, I guess. I'm against cancer. I think it's also bad. I'm anti-cancer, right? That's not a a thing, right? So if you wrote a game about dealing with cancer, I would hope the message is not, cancer is bad, because then it's not a very interesting game. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So I have a follow-up question to what you just said, Mark. Yeah. What came first, the, 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 the scenario for Cartel or that it was a game about uh, community. Oh, the, the former by far, right? Like, like I was like, literally like I'm watching Breaking Bad and I'm like, oh, I love the show so much and all these, all these, all these relationships and it's super fucked up that it's only about white people and it's in my hometown and I, just, I hate it so much. If only it could be about brown people, I could do that. And then I was like, I built this whole company, we could publish it. And then my second thought was, oh, people are gonna be so mad. And I was like, "Fuck them! We're just gonna do it anyway." Aren't you glad you're right? I, yeah, they were. I was right. They were really mad. Um, <laughs> they were really, really mad. And then later, as I watched it play out, I was like, "Why am I drawn to this? Why does this matter to me?" And then I was watching The Wire, and I was thinking about, man, like these characters, 
they're all aspects of ways this community tries to get by. Like there's Bodie in The Wire, who's like a fan favorite, the Halcon, the street kid. And he has this whole scene towards the end of the show where he says, I did my fucking job. I never took money off a package. I never messed up the count. I got it all right. I'm still getting fucked. And I thought like, wow, yeah, Stringer tried to make it big and Avon tried to be the king, but Bodie just tried to do his fucking job. And how sad is it that that wasn't enough? And the answer is it's never enough. Nothing is ever enough. And that's kind of how cartel is, right? Like, you try to do your job. You try to be the best spouse. You can try to be the best whatever. It will never be enough because the system will ensure it's not. So yeah, you don't, I hope it's clear that I do not set out like, these are my metaphors I will paint with these brushes. I start painting and then I find that some brushes work better than others. And then at the end, I have a lot of things to say about my game that make me sound like I was like really <laughs> intentional. But it's like, I just went back to the cook playbook and rewrote a bunch of it because it was about his lab and that's cool and you should have a lab. But I also added in a bunch of secrets because that's what the cook's really about. You're the person who's pretending, pretending to be okay, pretending to hold it together, pretending to make it work. And I was leaving that as a fruitful void, but the players weren't getting there. So I had to add a little bit more. Okay. And, when, and then I might look at that and be like, too much? <laughs> and pull it back. That was a great question. Thank you. And on a note for too much, I believe that is all of our time. So thank you very much. And thank you to our excellent panelists to thank my you. right. Thank you for being together. Thanks, Kate. Kate got us definitely organized. Anything, yes. any of the organization panels should be laid at the feet of Kate. It was very, it was very nice. Thank you very much. Um, well done,